All right, Second Peter chapter number two. We're going to uh, continue. The last time I was looking in my notes, uh, I started this back in August. I can't believe where September and October went. And this is the next, the, the closest time I've had to get back to it. So I took upon it to get back to where we're going through Second Peter. And I'm really wanting to try to instill in us the importance of knowing what's false. Um, because if you know what's false, well, actually, you should go back to knowing what's true. You know what's true, you know what's false. But just for us to be able to uh, be aware of it. And um, the Bible is the answer, amen? Uh, and even this afternoon, I was speaking to a couple about getting in God's Word and knowing it. And it will help you and give you direction for life. Uh, I don't know where I, I got this, but this is the Soldier's New Testament from the YMCA. It was printed... In 1942, in uh, in London, and at the front, this was given. From what I understand, it was given to every soldier who would take one, or airman, or sailor. And in the very beginning, it has a crown on the first page, and it says a, mes- a message from His Majesty the King, and it says the following. To all serving in my forces by sea or land or in the air, and indeed to all my people engaged in defense of the realm, I commend the reading of this book. For centuries, the Bible has a wholesome and strengthening influence in our national life. And it behooves us in these momentous days to turn with renewed faith to this divine source of comfort and inspiration. Now, I don't know if the king was ever saved, but he's true what he said. But there's so much more than what he said. The Bible is the answer. It's God's Word. And I'm glad that some fellow by the name of Fowler, no, sorry, was given to somebody on October 31st, 1943 in Red Hill, Surrey, and that would be in England. And someone took that. And it can tell it's been dog-eared. Someone's read it before. Not me. It was given to me. I don't even know who gave it to me. But the reality is, if we're in God's Word, we'll know the truth. And we'll be able to fend off those who preach falsely. So let's look at Second Peter chapter number 2. Second Peter chapter number 2. And uh, we'll start reading in uh, verse number 12. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall leave the uh, reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceiving while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, Beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the son of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, I pray you'll help us to know the truth. Lord, the truth is indeed the, the key for us for living the lives that you desire for us and to fend, defend it. Uh, Lord, there's so many false voices, false prophets abounding. 
Lord, help us to know the truth. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. The last time we looked, we looked at verses 10 and 12. We looked at the reviling of, uh, of the false teachers and prophets. Their reason for it was their flesh. It was all about themselves, their self-will. And they're very serious about it. They, they don't take this lightheartedly. They, they definitely want uh, the, you know, to satisfy the desires of the flesh. Uh, and we saw the judgment of that. We just read that in verse number 12. So verses 13 down to verse 16 are what we're going to look at this evening. And uh, the word uh, ride here kind of gives us the idea of sporting and is definitely carrying the idea of sensual. And they also contain the idea of luxury and softness and extravagance. And sadly today, there's many, very many uh, false teachers out there that have all these luxury homes, uh, Benny Hinn, all kinds of names. And I, and I, I was I was speaking to some people after last time I preached, and said, you know, you should name some of these people's names that do this. And there's truth to that because it does help you, but I really want you to know the truth so then no matter their name, you know what the truth is. That, that, that's what I really want. But I understand what that individual and those individuals were saying as well. Uh, but if you know the truth, no one's going to fool you. No matter their name. Uh, and there's so many of these ministries and that are, you know, they're, you know, they're raising all kinds of money for the nicest cars and things. You know, when we remember about Jesus, I mean, Jesus did not have a luxury liner bringing him anywhere, did he? He was pretty poor. You know, he was of the poor. And, you know, he, he helped the best he could. And, and they're deceiving others. Uh, they even deceive themselves, okay? They, they're trying to prove from the Bible their lifestyle. Uh, so we see in this verse here, uh, as they counted pleasure to ride in the daytime. So in ancient times, it was expected that people would revel at night. Okay? That, that was expected. But these people dared to revel in the day, to have this luxurious type parties. Uh, and what they're trying to do is to convince themselves that this is right to do all the time. This is right to do all the time. Uh, I'm deceiving, I'm trying to deceive you and I'm deceiving myself that this is the way it should be. And they're trying to get people accustomed to their vices so it almost becomes like a virtue. And that doesn't make sense, right? A vice is never a virtue. It never turns that way. And they, they, that's the desire. Now, if if we see that kind of lifestyle rising during the day with the world, we expect it from the world, don't we? The lost don't know any different. That's the way they will live. And we try to reach them and tell them about Jesus and say, that's not the way to live. You need to live for the Lord and this is the way you need to live, right? That's how it works. But this is not what they're talking about. These are not lost people, or they are lost, but these people are trying to bring this kind of lifestyle into the church. That's the idea that we can live any way we want. Is you know, you know. Well, yeah, let's have a righteous type lifestyle. You know, back in the early church, they would have what they would call love feasts. The idea of the Lord's Supper would take place, and the the bounty of some richer Christians would help the poorer ones to have a, a you know better eating and things. Uh, but the apostates took this love fest as a time of displaying their wealth and impressing the ignorant people who lacked discernment. That's still happening today. People are trying to deceive people. And these, these false teachers were spots and blemishes. It speaks of that in verse number 13. Spots, they are and blemishes. 
in the assembly, defiling the assembly, defiling those around them. It's, it's the word of God that removes spots and blemishes. Amen. That, that's what removes that these people were bringing it in. They did not want to minister the true word of God. They wanted to try to twist the scripture to make them look good. So the importance of you knowing the truth, you can see when that happens. You know the truth of the word of God, you can see when someone's trying to twist the scripture on you. Or on a congregation. They were defiling themselves. Uh, false doctrine inevitably leads to false living. It's not true. The apostate must adjust. He manipulates the word of God to make it look good. That this is the way it should be. So he does that so he doesn't have to change his lifestyle. I want to live this way, so I'm going to adjust the word. I'm going to manipulate the word to meet the desires of his flesh. That's their desire. So he secretly defiles the people and makes it easier for them to sin. If this is the way it is, you can do it too. That's, that's the mindset of the false teacher. You know, and, and the, and the apostates attend churches and get involved with churches and try to take over churches for two reasons. To satisfy their own lusts and to carry people away with them. That's the reasons. That's their desires. Uh, verse number 14, having eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. Sadly, they're looking for loose women as well, that entice them to sin. That's found in 2 Timothy 3, 6. It says, creeping into houses and led captive silly women laden with sin, uh, led away with divers' lusts. They use the ministry as a cloak to cover up their own lust. Disgusting. But that's what they do. And what I'm telling you is not a surprise if you've been around at all. You've heard some horrible stories where men and women have done exactly that to fulfill their lusts. And satisfying their lust is the, the false teacher main ambition. That's what they desire. Verse 14 says, and that cannot cease from sin. They can't cease from sin. They're unable to stop. That's what uh, the, it's suggesting here. And why are they not able to stop? Because they're still in bondage. They're in bondage to sin. They, they can't get away from it because they're still in bondage to it. Uh, they, they consider themselves to be free, but if anything, they're more enslaved than anybody else. They're not even saved. They need to be saved. Then they get freedom. Amen. Hey, if we've been here or heard this evening. We know Jesus Christ is Savior. We know He set us free. Amen. From the bondage of sin, these individuals are preaching their own doctrine, their own turn and manipulating of the Scripture. Saying, yes, this will make you free. When in, in essence, they are so captive by sin. Beguiling unstable souls. Anyone here like to fish? I think I know a couple people here like to fish. Anybody here? Like, a couple people? Alright. So when you go fishing, do you just throw your hook out there? If you do, you're not going to catch much. If you catch anything, it's totally a fluke, right? That does not the way it works. What do you do? You put bait on it, right? I, I can remember growing up in Newfoundland, there was this one fishing hole. Only worms. Only worms. You wouldn't put anything else on but worms. Then there's another fishing hole. These fish were strange in this fishing hole. They like corn. 
I'm, I'm not joking with you. I'm dead serious. We'd put the few pieces of corn on there and we'd catch fish. Strange fish in that. Tastes great, but strange. All right? Uh, but the idea is that it's a picture of the fisherman baiting a hook. Putting it out there. He's a fish... Would swim by if we went fishing. We just put our hooks out there. He's like, "What's that? I hit it. What? What's that? Hey, Joe, stay away from that. <laughs> What's that? But when they swim and they see something that looks enticing, let's go. I don't know. If the, actually, I don't know if fish smell, but anyway, you know, mm, let's take a bite, and then you have it. Satan's good at that. That's how we got us to where we are right now. You know, because he enticed. Eve. Hey, he says, eat this fruit and become like gods. Well, that's not true. But that's what he used to entice them. And then they were trapped. What kind of faith do apostates use to catch people? For one thing, they turn them to liberty. That's the word they use. Liberty. You'll have liberty. You'll have freedom. That's the, that's the bait they lay out for the trap. You'll find fulfillment. That, that, that they say that the Christian life, that church that offers that old fashioned is all outdated. Come with us. We're the new lifestyle and make you feel fulfilled and, and you'll have find your true self. What do you find your true self without Jesus Christ? You're like the prodigal son. You're still lost. Until you come back to the Father. Until you come back and say, I need Jesus Christ. So that, that's one of the allurements they put out there. You'll find fulfillment. I've, I've read articles about them. I've seen their advertisement. And boy, that's a big part of them. Come with us and you'll find fulfillment. Listen, there can be no freedom or fulfillment apart from the submission to Jesus Christ. There can't be. Not true. Not true. Uh, a Scottish minister, I just read this this week, this is fantastic. <coughs> the purpose of life is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. And that's Jesus Christ. That is a fantastic term because you know what? I know so many Christians today who are wandering around trying to find purpose, their freedom, they're not even looking to the master. They need to find the master, and that's Jesus, and serve him. It's just like that, uh, you know, the, the great piano player, the great flutist, or whatever, whatever kind of instrument you play, and you get underneath the tutelage of the greatest. And you listen to them. They put their time into you, and you practice, and you practice. You know what? You find the greatest fulfillment and freedom in your music then. Because you're being taught by the master. Oh, I know. I have. I've had. Been, I've been in some classes, and I have uh, in university or college, and I had some really good teachers. And some of them, man, they were strict. Didn't like that much at first. It's like I like the easy classes. You know what I found out? I learned the most from those who demanded the most. And they, they put the screws to you and learn this. You need to learn this and this is the reason why. Learn it. Understand it. Get in God's Word. And after that class was done, I can remember one in particular. I handed in my papers like, man, I have learned the most in this class than any other class. He's the master who was teaching. 
He was telling me how to do it. You know, it was so important. We'll find freedom when we listen to the Master. We'll find freedom in our lives. It's not just because of who we are, because if we find freedom ourselves, we're going to be in a terrible mess. We're going to be in places we don't want to be. Who are the people who take the bait that apostates put out there in their subtle traps? According to scriptures of the unstable souls. In verse number 14, the unstable souls. Stability is important in our Christian life. It's very important. Stability. If we're going to be a successful, have a successful Christian life, one that honors the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be stable. We need to be stable. Not, not, hi, 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 and low, 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 low. No, stable. That's not to say we don't have days like that, because we're human. But the idea is that we're day in and day out, we're trying to have that walk with the Lord, just walking with the Lord, standing firm in the Lord, we're stable. If you're stable, Lord, you won't fall for the trickery of the false teacher. Because you'll see the apostate and you'll know what he is and you'll call him on it. And the apostate, he won't stick around because he, ain't, he knows he ain't getting you. Because you know God's word. We need to stab ourselves in the truth. The revolting. Uh, in verse 14 to 16. Uh, we've read part of 14 already. Uh, the apostates know the right road. They know of it. They know the straight path. But they deliberately... Saying no. Because it doesn't feed their flesh, does it? Peter called them natural brute beasts, comparing them to animals. You know, horses like to rush ahead. Mules like to leg behind, right? That's the way they work. But both of them can get off the right path, can't they? You know, they do. Believers, we are referred to as sheep. We need a shepherd. And sheep need to stay close to the shepherd or we will stray away. We need the shepherd. Uh, we've already learned one of the lessons of the apostate is godless, godless conduct. They will satisfy the cravings of their flesh. And second, they are covetous and they want to exploit people for personal gain. The only... The false teacher is controlled by his passions and they're unbridled and he wants to take care of that no matter what is. So he becomes covetous and he's in bondage to his lust of pleasure and money usually makes that pleasure happen. So that's what they're chasing. And, and man, I'm telling you, I, I don't watch them anymore, but I remember watching them as, you know, late Sunday night, the craziest goofballs get on TV who call themselves Christians, preachers, and are looking for money. Have you seen them? I mean, it's despicable. I'm like, man, I would like to get my hands to the television set and give you a good slap. Because you are lying. You are, you are nothing but a... And you're a horrible liar at that. You know, my goodness, how... And, you know, phone me and I will give you this vial of water that will take away all... What?! Are you, I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, there can't be anybody really phoning. Is it really? I mean, all those people on the phones, they're really just picking up phones to look like they're busy, right? That's what I'm really hoping. But then I read of reports where these guys are making millions of dollars. I'm like, what? It's all about feeding their flesh. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with helping a ministry, okay? There's nothing wrong with helping a, a godly ministry that's following the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. Listen, there's, there's probably times that, I mean, we've got people from all around the world here. Maybe you know ministry back in your home country, and once in a while you give them money. Maybe you give them money every month, and they're a good ministry. Well, praise the Lord. That's great. Keep doing it. My, my, my guidance to you is to make sure they're doing what the Bible says. But if that's what's going on, great, and help them. But these guys, they're all about themselves and their money. You know, Paul, Peter writes some pretty powerful words. He says, cursed children. That's what these false uh, teachers, these apostates, they were not blessed children of God, but cursed children of the devil. They might succeed in building up their bank accounts, but in the end, they will be declared bankrupt by God. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew twenty-five forty-one. For what is a man profit? He should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Matthew sixteen twenty-six. Covetousness is the insatiable desire for more. More money, more power, more prestige. The covetous heart, understand this, the covetous heart is never satisfied. If you have a covetous heart, you're never going to be satisfied. And that explains why they love the money, is, why money is the root of all evil. And it gives us an explanation of why they continually look for more. They want more. When a person craves more money, they'll, they'll commit any sin to satisfy that craving. They steal, lie, commit adultery, whatever it is, to get more. You know, it's just amazing. It's sad to see. Uh, I was told a story years ago, and I just read it recently again, that in some folks in North Africa, when they have problems with monkeys getting into whatever they have, their foodstuffs or materials, they lay out gourds around the property big enough so the monkey can get his hand inside the gourd. But there's something inside the gourd. And the monkey puts his hand in there and he grabs it. And this is in the middle of the night because the monkey knows that the humans are around during the daytime. He puts his hand in there, grabs that, whatever it is. You know what? The humans catch him the next day with their gourd in his hand because they will not release what's in their hand. Covetous? I want it, I want it, I want it. And it ends up in their demise because the humans catch them and they kill them to get rid of this problem. You know, the the, the false teacher doesn't want, just as that uh, uh, monkey does not want to forfeit the nuts he has in his hand, the, the covetous, the false apostate, uh, false teacher should say, he's just like that monkey, he won't let go. He wants more, he wants more, he wants more. Every day it's happening. And Peter uses an Old Testament scripture. I'm not going to go back and read for you, but I'm going to tell you right now, you need to go back and read Numbers 22 to 25. You have your homework for this week, class. You need to read this portion of scripture to understand even better what I'm going to relay to you now. He tells us the story of Balaam in really just a verse. A verse two verses, actually. Balaam is a mysterious character if there ever was one. He was a prophet, a Gentile prophet, 
who tried to curse the Jews. Okay. Balak, the king of the Moabites, was afraid of Israel, and he had every right to be and should have been afraid of them. So he turned to Balaam for help. Balaam knew it was wrong. He would not help. But his heart was covetous. And he wanted the money and the honor that Balak promised him. Balaam knew the truth. He knew the will of God. He knew the truth of God. Yet he deliberately abandoned, abandoned the right way and he went astray. A great illustration of the apostates of the day and their covetous practices. God told Balaam not to help Balak. God told him, don't help him. At first he obeyed, sent the messengers home. Balak did not like that answer, so he sent the princes back with more money and more promises. And Balaam saw the more money, saw the more princes, and saw the influence he could have. And, ooh, he really sweetened the pot this time. So Balaam decided to pray about it again. Think about that. So the first time it was wrong, he knew. Second time they come back with more money and more princes. Now he said, I'll pray about it again. It was wrong then. Why is it right now? So he prays about it, reconsiders the matter. And the second time, God kind of tests Balaam and permits him to go with the princes. And, and, and it's not God's direct will. It was his permissive will designed to see what the prophet would do. And Balaam jumped at the chance. He started to go astray. And God used a donkey to rebuke a disobedient prophet. How remarkable that the animals obey God when the master would not. Balaam. Balaam was the master of the donkey, but he would not listen. God permitted Balaam to set up his altar, offer his sacrifice, but God would not permit him to curse Israel. Instead, he turned Balaam's curse into a blessing. You can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 23. He wasn't able to curse Israel, but he was able to tell Balak how to defeat Israel. And all the Moabites had to do was invite the Jews to be friendly neighbors. Friendly neighbors! To share in their feasts. Instead of maintaining a separate position, Israel compromised and joined the pagan rituals and disgusting acts that the Moabites did. And God had to discipline His children numerous times for this. See, Balaam had two aspects of apostasy that Peter emphasized. It was the lust and it was covetousness. He loved money. He led Israel into lustful sin. Listen, there is a whole lot of people just like Balaam today who desire to do the same thing to you and other Christians. Lead them the wrong way. Eventually, Balaam would be punished by God. He was a rebel. He rebelled against the will of God. He was a false teacher that, as Peter describes, he knew the right way. Remember? He knew he shouldn't curse Israel. They came the second time, well, I'll pray about it again. He tried to curse, wouldn't work. Well, Balak, this is how you defeat Israel. He should have went back to the first position and said, no, I can't do it and you should leave him alone. But he wouldn't. A bank officer approached a junior clerk secretly in the lunchroom. He said, uh, if I gave you $50,000, would you help me kind of alter the books? Yes, I guess I would, the man replied. 
Then the officer looked at him and said, would you do it for a hundred? Of course not. What do you think I am, a common thief? And the man replied, we already determined that you are. Now we're talking about the price. Now we're talking about the price. The person who's covetous does have his price. And when that price is met, he will do whatever is asked, even rebelling, revolting against the word or will of God. Peter called this attitude madness down in the latter part of verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with the man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. That means deranged, to be deranged or out of your mind. I think we've all met people like that. Not necessarily in this sense of the apostate, but we've met people like that. But you know, Balaam really thought he was doing was good. And it was wise and it was a good thing for him to do. He was taking advantage of a situation that never came along. And you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm being a good businessman here. I'm trying to... He was rebelling against God. This wasn't an opportunity. This was wrong. This was sin. And because of his rebellion against God, the best way that Peter described it was madness. How can you revolt or revolt or rebel against God and live? Because he is the only true and living God. He will bring judgment. He will bring retribution. If you have that mindset, it will only lead to tragedy. We've been around long enough now. We've seen some things that happened to some of those false apostles and or apostles, but teachers and preachers, haven't we? Seen their little kingdoms all come crumbling down. Seen some horrible things accused and they're convicted of. Manipulating people, taking advantage of of individuals, leading uh, into vast immorality. God will judge. We don't like to say that much because we don't, because we know we'll be judged too, because we, everyone will. But the apostates will be judged for their wickedness. God will not hold back His hand. He will judge them. Peter has condemned three sins of the false teacher. They're reviling, they're reveling, they're revolting. And all these sins spring from pride and selfish desires. That's what it comes from. They don't. The pride might be, I don't need God. Or the selfish part is, I want this, I want that. It all springs from that heart attitude. A true servant of God is humble and he seeks to serve others. That's not too hard to determine. If you put an apostate teacher next to a true teacher of the Word of God, you will soon see the glaring difference, will you not? Because they are polar opposites. They are totally different. They are, if they're Arabic alike at all, there is some major problems. A true servant of God doesn't, not, does not think about praise or pay because he serves God from a loving and obedient heart. And he knows that as he honors God, God will take care of him. As he follows God's will for his life, God will take care of his needs. He'll watch out for him. You know, in short, a true servant of God is trying to pattern himself 
after the greatest example that he can follow, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a true servant of God's trying to do. And I'm not talking about me as a pastor, but you as a true servant of Jesus Christ could do the same. Okay? There's a real need today in our church and in all Christianity generally for spiritual discernment. And you get it by being in the truth. By knowing what the truth says, what the Bible has to say. And you're growing in that. Growing in God's Word. Now, I, uh, in our uh, WBF lesson this week was talking about being a fantastic friend. And you know, your friends affect how you live. I mean, I spoke to the teenagers about it on Friday. And listen, in those teen years, it's so important to have good friends, right? Definitely. But I'm 40 and I still need good friends. I do. And you do too. Because your friends can affect how you're going to live your life. My friends can either encourage me to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, or my friends can keep me away from growing in the knowledge of the Word of God. Yeah, you need to be in good church. you got a good one, so you don't need to look anywhere else. You need to be in God's Word. You do. I, I, I cannot, I, and you're going to hear me say this again and again as we continue going through Second Peter, I cannot emphasize it enough. You need to be in God's Word. You do. To know it. To know God's Word. To own it. To live it. You know, it's not good enough. I mean, I understand it's good, but it's not good enough for you to re-spout what I have said to someone else and they'll ask you a question and you don't know anything else about it. You need to know the Word of God. You're the witness at your workplace. I am not. I mean, I might meet a co-worker at one of your co-workers at the grocery store, but they're not really going to listen to me like they listen to you. Live it. Be what the Word of God is desires for you to be. I mean, I know we fail, we falter. I understand all that, and God knows too. But try as much as possible being God's Word. Make it a part of who you are. If you do that, you will not fall for false teaching. And you will be a lighthouse. You'll be a witness to other Christians and to the lost. And the false teachers won't want to stick around you because they know they can't fool you. You know, sadly, not all the religious frauds of today will be discovered. But God knows every one of them. And they will be judged. God knows you today, and He desires that you be in His Word and know what He'll have for your life. We all have a different plan. Maybe there's someone here this evening that God's moving your heart to be a preacher. Praise the Lord! Don't fight that. You're going to get up. If you fight, you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be. Submit to it. Follow God's plan for your life. Maybe there's some missionaries sitting amongst us right now. God's laying your heart to go somewhere. Follow God's plan. Maybe in our midst today is going to be a great doctor. Great! Follow God's plan. 
Maybe God's plan for you is to be a janitor the rest of your life. And you'll be a faithful witness in that school, in that business place. You're just going to do your work right and you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to leave your family right and you're going to do what's right. You might not have all the pleasures and all the things of this world, but when this day life is over, you would have done right. Oh, follow God. Follow God. Know the truth. Those men and women who teach falsehoods and their apostates, they will not escape God's hand of justice. Are we being a testimony to those around us to come to Jesus Christ to know Him as Savior? We know God will take care of them and we know we need to be in God's Word. Help us to be the witness we need to be to those around us. Encouraging Christians who are backslidden, maybe they've never grown. Hey, listen, we all agree that salvation is just the beginning, right? It's just the beginning of a wonderful journey. But sadly, so many people get saved and that's it. That's it. They don't go any further. Maybe you need to take some people like that underneath your wing and encourage them to serve Jesus Christ. Say, come on with me. Come on with me. And let's serve Jesus together. Hey, we, through the power of Jesus Christ, can do some great things for Him. If we will follow His plan. Make Him master and follow.